after church maybe today or maybe another Sunday. Today is maybe a lot of barbecue stuff, but oftentimes after the service, people head out to a restaurant and when you just drive down the different streets, you realize how many different kinds there are. You think of the category of fast food. I, I'm probably missing, but Burger King, McDonald's, Arby's, Subway, A&W, Taco Bell, Taco John's, Jimmy John's, maybe a few more there that are options for, for eating out. Then you think of the ones that you, where you sit down and you order a meal. All of those restaurants. And then you add the categories, for example, of pizza or Chinese food and how we each have a set of favorite restaurants that all of them serving a meal, all considered a restaurant, all of them have a different menu. Apply that thinking to the myriad of churches in our community. All have different flavors all have a different spiritual menu that they offer. And every church will have a flavor in which they emphasize and that they believe is most important for those that attend that church. But then throw on top of that words like associations or denominations of churches. For example, anybody here grow up in a Baptist church or attended a Baptist church in the past? A few of you have. Okay. Do you know that there are 61 different denominations of Baptist churches in the United States? All with a different flavor. They call themselves Baptists. Matter of fact, I'm thinking through we did adult foster care in Vancouver, Washington for a number of years, and we'd have a gal that would come in when we went to church on Sunday morning. She came in and took care of the adults, and she was a Seventh-day Baptist, meaning that she went to church on Saturday, her, her association or denomination that exists out there, and it was very helpful for us. But catch this, even within any denomination, including the Evangelical Free Church, there are different flavors of those churches who call themselves a free church. Now, we have somewhere around 1,500 churches or a little bit more that are free churches across the country. And it was interesting, a couple weeks ago when I attended the national conference, I ended up attending two different free churches, one the first weekend and another one the second weekend. The first one was a church called North Coast. And I'm guessing, because I knew what they were a couple years ago, that there's somewhere between probably twelve to 13,000 people on a weekend that attend their services. Now, they have a culture that's very distinct from a lot of different free churches. And one of the things about them is they're called what's, what's called a multi-site church. Meaning this, they, have, they, they rent different places and they'll have the sermon on video but in those places they'll always have live worship going on at those events and it can be Saturday night Sunday morning Sunday night they can all all happen but all of them with a live worship team in every spot there are 33 different options for you attend on a weekend for North Coast 33 different and when they advertise them, the difference is because there's a, a flavor on each one of them. They will offer a, a traditional band like ours, and it's, they host that one at what's called the live building. It's almost always a live speaker there. But then they advertise this. 
worship with an edge. And for that, it would be a little more intense, probably a little louder, a little more lights involved, uh, geared toward younger. Another one they advertise this way. It's a groove-oriented, gospel-centered music with a touch of soul. Anybody would lean towards something like that. And then you have your traditional hymns and classic services. You have a country gospel featuring kind of gospel and bluegrass as a part of their services. They have Hispanic services that are done worship in Spanish. And even one of them, they have what's called the cafe service. So you come on Sunday morning and they have a room. It's probably about the size of this room here, small table set up, and you watch the service on the screen. You order your bagel, your good cup of coffee. You sit down as a, and, and talk about the service afterward. Very casual, very, very different. I also know that people tend to look at large churches like this and they, at times we'll categorize them. And one of the categories, if you know this term, it's called the seeker service. And the phrase seeker church is really a, a church that puts great deal of emphasis on attracting new people and kind of unbelievers, nominal Christians on the Sunday morning service. The service is designed not for the attenders of the church. It's designed for those that are not here at the, at the particular church. Um, now, it's interesting, people have actually kind of accused uh, North Coast of going, yeah, they're a seeker service, and that's why they're so large. But I would argue, no, that they're really not a seeker church at all. Matter of fact, the pastor was preaching on Ephesians chapter 6, the, night, the day that we were there, and he preached for 55 minutes. And I was so encouraged by that. You, you understand Turn your watches off, okay? I get to go 55 minutes today, and I don't have to bat an eye. Okay, I won't go quite that long, but, but you understand that, that there's a flavor to their particular church. The next week, I went to another free church in a, in a town called Desert Palms. is over by Palm Springs. We were just, just took a couple days of vacation. It was called Southwestern Community. We looked it up on the free church site first and then found it. And, and lo and behold, it was a church of somewhere between three and 4,000 people, I'm guessing, in terms of their attendance on a weekend. And it was a true seeker church. On Father's Day, we come to that church, and there was a bunch of tents set up outside, like in the parking area. They had a bunch of grass area. There was these tents that set up, and they were having a classic car show on that Sunday. And so you'd come in and wash the cars. The goal was to bring people in to, to, to view the classic car show, and that was kind of their attraction for Sunday morning. But it was evident just the way the service and when you went and, and attended, we attended that. And there was lots of money put toward the stage, the lighting, the videos, the screens. There was a 50-foot screen in back of the worship guy, the worship team. And then there was two 20-footers on the side so you understand the enormity even of the stage. And it's interesting, this pastor gets up. He preaches about a 20-minute sermon. And, and Deanna and I, we walked out of that service and we got in the car and we both kind of looked at each other and we started laughing. And I can't help that. I'm going to be honest there because we both would go, boy, that was really weak. And it was, it was, but it was so stark. The difference between the two churches were dramatically different. Both churches would say that they're committed to disciple-making, making disciples, but both had a different feel, a different DNA, they value different things. 
Now there's a word here I just want to throw up on the screen with a definition. It's the word ethos. And I think it fits here with churches because every church or group of people in one sense has an ethos that has a bunch of beliefs that really guide what they really do. But here's what at times what we need to understand. If you looked at the two websites, it really wouldn't say that one was a seeker church and one wasn't at all. And, but the reality is that every organization has kind of this undercurrent, this ethos of what they really are about and what, what they aren't about. And maybe some of you have been in churches where you go, this is the culture, this is the ethos of a particular church. Uh, one of them in the past, years and years ago, I, there was, I, I think the ethos of the church that was this, don't rock the boat. So what was written on the surface was we're for evangelism, discipleship, and you kind of go down on those words, but under the, the undertone of the church was don't rock the boat was really the tone. Don't offend anybody. Don't take risks. You know, change would be suspect in that church. For others, the ethos could be something like this. You know what? We're not going to deal with sin. We're not going to deal with hidden sin. We're just going to kind of throw it under the carpet. And these deep beliefs are unwritten, and they often will define really what a church is all about. Now, my personal hunch is that don't rock the boat. For many people in churches, that's kind of common uh, in terms of change. But let me throw some other ethos-type settings of churches. Uh, the first one there on the screen. As a church, we can find something wrong with anything. It's kind of that attitude that goes, I can, I'll always point to the negative. Or another one there. Visitors are welcome to come back if they really want to. People don't care. And that third one there, saved by grace, but living under the law. See, they would never put that in the written documents that they put out there, the brochures, the website. But underneath they're going, yeah, we're saved by grace, but we're going to live about the, around the law. But realize that this ethos has enormous impact on the health and the effectiveness of a church no matter what is stated or written about or put on a website. So we need to realize something. That the ethos, the culture, the DNA of a church takes a long time to create sometimes, but much longer functionally to change. And I've discovered at times the leadership in churches really don't want to look below and say, what is our ethos? What is our DNA? I, I feel pretty good where we're at. and I feel like the leaders are open and willing and they are asking some of those questions. But I was talking to a relative here a couple of weeks ago and, and they're having some challenges in their church, to, to say, put it mildly. And really what, what's happening is they're unwilling to look below the surface and go who they are as a church and they're really not willing to deal with it. Here's an example of an ethos of one pastor who wrote it this way. The ethos we eventually discovered in our congregation was, you don't need to do anything. From spiritual growth, evangelism, to giving to ministry, a church that was founded as a safe place for those wounded by religion became a place for longtime Christians to be comfortable and inactive. 
But changing, understand, that type of a church, changing the ethos is hard and it's time-consuming. And change is hard for people. Now, I suspect that we are a normal church and that some people within our congregation don't like change. Matter of fact, i got a little question for you. How many elders does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? <laughs> Sorry, Doug. <laughs> but, but here's, i, I got to answer that question. It actually takes one. I don't know if you know, we switched from fluorescent lighting to LED lighting in here, and it was Cal and Elder that changed the light bulb. So you, you need to thank Cal on that as well. But at times, again, churches are called to stop and review and dig and see if what we say, what's written, is really what we want to be. But we also need to see, are we consistent with who we really are as a church? And I think sometimes churches forget and leaders don't stop and ask those questions. Does it match up? See, if a church never asks those questions, if one never has a target of this is where we're going, you're going to hit that goal every time if you have no target. So here's where I just need to introduce some words as we dig into this series for the summer on core values. In this series, these words are important. Let me put the first words on the screen. It's the term core values. These are the principles that guides an organization's internal conduct and the way it relates to the external world. But I think this is how I would say it. Core values act as a guard, a guardrail, a fence that keeps the church moving in the right direction, keeping us to be a biblical church, one that's Christ-centered. But they're the boundaries, they're the guards that we got to keep coming back to and say, are we bumping up in? Are we falling over the guardrail? But in light of that, let me just add a reality if you're following along in the outline there in the bulletin. By the way, I have the core values on the back of that insert here for us that we're going to be going through. But this reality, every organization then has their preferred values, the stated ones, in essence. And every group has their actual values. So today, as we begin, we got to realize how important these values are to be, stay a biblical and an effective church. And, and it becomes a foundation as we gather a group of people and as we meet into this, into this place. Now, understand that there's some terms here that, that are used with organizations and its values and mission and vision. But at times, I, I think when people talk about this stuff, they kind of roll their eyes and go, doesn't do anything for me. Doesn't apply to me. But let me challenge you on that. It does matter. It matters because if we care about what kind of a church we want to become or are becoming. See, I don't want to become a church that outwardly says we live by grace, but we're really promoting an undercurrent of living by the law. I don't want a church like that. See, it matters what we desire to become. And I'm assuming that you don't want a church that doesn't care about the Word of God. 
that you want a church that's foundational, that the word is foundational. I assume that you care that we would be a grace-filled church or continually working at that direction and that our love is real. See, the things that you value deeply, they matter deeply to us. Matter of fact, let me just give you another reminder there for your, your notes there on the bulletin. Every group of people that calls themselves a church is ultimately representing Jesus. So as we gather together, as we become a church family, whether we like it or not, we are representing the Son of the Most High. We're representing Jesus, and Jesus cares what we believe and how we act. And in fact, look at a directive. Look at from Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is talking to Peter here. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, referring to himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We are to be instruments of Jesus. We're to be used in building his church and his kingdom. We are his bride. He cares about what the bride looks like. He cares about the character of the bride. He cares how the bride acts in this world. And I can say with certainty, that there are churches in this world who are so far off from representing Jesus. It's it's discouraging at times. In light of the court decision here, I I was listening, it came on, they put a a short kind of vignette of a service from a pastor in Atlanta as he was cheering the decision of the Supreme Court. And and my heart just went, oh, What's happened to that church where the Bible doesn't matter anymore? Where a church doesn't care about the Word of God? Or it just becomes a tool to manipulate, to build their own agenda? See, it matters to Jesus what we're becoming. The universal church, the local church, it matters to Jesus. And we are stewards as we call this church our family and the bride of Christ. And we need to understand that we don't exist for just ourselves. But there's this other word, mission, that we have a mission, we have core values. It points to what we want to become. Let let me put the mission statement, it's on the bulletin there, in the front there, but let me put it on the screen here. Together in Christ, making him known. You look at that first phrase, we say that to being together in Christ is important. Look at Romans 12.5, a great short verse, but it points to this. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are together, we're in Christ because the Holy Spirit has been put in us and we are the body of Christ. We are in Christ and that is important. But we also have a mission. Now I could go to Matthew 28, but I want to put a different passage that really points to this as well. Look at Isaiah 52. 
Here the God is speaking to Isaiah and he writes this down. He goes, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you. And we could put our name in there. Grand Rapids Free Church in righteousness. And I will take you by the hand and keep you. Relationally, we are in him. But then look, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. It's our mission to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison to those who sin in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Folks, as a people of God, we have been given a mission to make Him known to the world, to help others glorify God. We are to help people meet Jesus, to be set free from the power of sin. We're to be used to open the eyes of the spiritually blind, that they can love God with all their hearts and souls and minds. We are His people on a mission to help other people worship and serve our great God. But I said earlier, these values that every church embraces, they they need to become the fence, the guardrails of fulfilling this mission. And these principles then guide our internal conduct as to how we relate to each other and even to the external world. See, our mission really, though, answers that question, why do we exist? But let me give you another word that we'll refer to in weeks ahead, this issue of vision. Vision calls us to the future. It looks forward. Let me show you a passage that's an illustration of a preferred vision that God gives and understand vision inspires, it moves people, it, gives, it helps people serve and give and participate. Look at Deuteronomy 8, 7. For the Lord your God, here's the vision he's giving the people, will bring you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive trees and honey, a land which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron. And out of these hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. A new place where they're going and they're going to respond to God and God's going to bless you as you head toward that vision. See, vision is about looking ahead, a preferred future, the circumstances of what we want to be. We're not there yet, but of what we want to be. Now, North Coast, that first church we visited, they had a vision for meeting people where they're at in their worship style even. It wasn't just a narrow worship style. They added Hispanic people speaking people to that. They added people that wanted to touch a soul in their worship. They even, they even included gospel country music. I'm not sure why they would have done that, but I understand that that's the challenge. No, it's okay. But I didn't go to that one, I'll tell you that. 
see, the challenge, they had a vision for a breadth of people that was very wide. And they had the resources. God gave them the resources to be able to do that. That was part of their vision. It's part of their vision. So the values we embrace then becomes kind of as we figure out how to go forward as a body of Christ. I don't know if you realize, we've actually had a group of people meeting together, a long-range planning team, looking at our values, reviewing them, our mission, our vision. How does this work with us here, even in this place? But it forces us to stop. When we do that, it forces, and a, and a committee like that, it forces us to stop and go, is this who we are? Is this our DNA? Is this where we're really headed? And, and under, understand that the, it's very important to stop and ask those questions. But oftentimes, well, let me put a reminder up there for your notes to fill that in. If a church really doesn't care about core values or they don't care about mission or even vision where they're headed, a church will default and it will settle for becoming a comfortable church that will be often focused on just meeting their own needs. And the result, to say it maybe more harshly, is that it becomes a selfish church where it's all about us. That's where mission and vision and core values wants to fight. We need, to, we need those things to fight against that. To go, this is where Jesus wants us to go. So those stated beliefs become consistent to where we're really going. And it protects us and keep us keeps us focused. But let me take a different direction here for a few minutes as the application. Think about this. Every family here, or every person, single person even, we all have a set of preferred core values and if I were to sit down with you and go, what are some of the intellectual things that you talk about of what is important? Understand that every family has these values that they're trying to live out. And I'm going to put it in two terms. There are the ones that articulated that, that we talk about. But then you have to ask the question, what are the real values? Do they equal each other? Do they equal? Is what we're verbally wanting, does it equal where we're really at? Matter of fact, over the years, there's a verse that's been used extensively to put plaques on walls. And let me show you that verse. Joshua 25, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and this is one again that's put on lots of verses out on walls and living rooms and entryways, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But catch this, a family can put it on the wall and tell everyone that's what we want, but if you were a mouse in the corner of that family, it could be very different, the real 
values of that family. And let me give you an illustration, one that's directed toward wives and one directed toward husbands. Here's a stated value. My husband is my top priority in my marriage. But they can have an actual value. My children are the top priority, and nothing will come between the relationship with my children, not even my husband. That's the actual value. Let let me give one geared toward fathers. Fathers, the stated value. My marriage and my children take top priority in my life. That's verbalized. But the actual I need to feel like a, like a real man above all else, so my job and my hobbies will always take precedent over my family. But, but catch this, even farther, you can be a high school student, you can be a, a college student, a single person, this also applies to you. You have things you verbally say, these are important in the spiritual realm, but this might be the actual. And it really is a quite painful exercise for, for any of us to begin to to compare the verbal with the actual. And at times, we get into settings where we are forced to do it, and we want to do, here's what we want to do. La, 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 la. Let's just not talk about it. Let's sweep it under the rug. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not working toward that, but but again, where are we going? And if we never stop and ask, What are the right things to value that need to exist in our lives, our individual lives? We will never ask, if we never stop and ask, what are the right things? What is the target? Where do we shoot for? If we don't articulate those things even, you're going to hit them every time. No target, you're going to hit it. And that's a reality of the way we live lives at times. But here's where i got to push you even farther of why the individual values are so important. Let me put up a statement on the screen. The collective values of individuals and families within a church will ultimately reflect the real values of a church. Do you catch that? What the church is actually like is the collective of the families and the individuals within that, that, of those people that call the church their family. So when one digs below the surface in the way that we live personally, what are the values that we espouse? Now, ultimately then, they're going to kind of influence the direction of the church. And I, I have to admit there's some people in churches, especially smaller churches, that influence the whole church in terms of tone and DNA. But collectively, it is about us. See, the values of a church starts in the hearts of the individual people who attend. And what we do flows out of who we are. It's why it's so important that a church has to come back And ask God, God, what values do we need to have to be aiming toward, to keep us on a path of really pleasing Jesus? 
See, those questions need to be wrestled with. But let me end with this question for today. Just an application for our, our, our own lives here. You have a person, or, or maybe one of your kids, came up and asked you, what are the desired core values, the spiritual core values of your life? Could you list five of them and articulate them to another person or to your kids? And if you told your children that, if I went to my children and said, here's my five, and then asked them the question, go, do you think my life matches up with those five? What would they say? Now, a lot of times they don't. But it's a place for us to stop and go, okay, Holy Spirit, you need to come into our lives. You need to come into my life and begin to work and prune and work and and gently pull me in a place where my values are consistent with the values of Jesus in my life. Maybe you want to ask that question today of one of your kids or somebody else that knows you well and you go, what are the values of, of of my life? See, is it money? Is it success? Is that the value? Or is it really a personal relationship, a love relationship with Jesus? Is that what we really value as we walk in this world? I challenge you to ask that question, ponder it even as we go through this week. Let's just stand and pray.